I'm sure all of, all of us agree that um, film is a cooperative venture and, <coughs> and uh, you need a lot of people to make it work. When you f see a finished film, I do anyway, of films that I worked on, I'm not quite sure at the, at the end who contributed what. <laughs> Gurinder Chadha, will speak first, she's a director and um, she did uh, Bend It Like Beckham, Bride and Prejudice and Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, if you've heard of any of those films. <laughs> Grinder, um, tell us a little about your journey and... Uh... Well, at school, uh, my favorite subject was geography. And I loved geography because it transported me to different countries and made me learn about different people. And as a child, I didn't know why. Now I know because it gave me an international perspective on the world. But when I was at school, I had no idea that I was going to become a film director. That just wasn't on the cards for me. And also, I felt people like me don't become film directors. I didn't <coughs> look like what a film director looked like. You know, from at that time, film directors were people like David Lean and um, all the people who made those Ealing movies. When I was at school, I had a, a meeting with my careers officer, um, and I said, oh, I wanted to go to university, uh, but I didn't know what I wanted to do yet, but I do want to study geography. My careers teacher, said, mm, university, really? I think, why don't you think about a secretarial college? You know, the world needs secretaries. You know, I thank her, really, because as soon as she said that, I said, right, that's what you think that I'm going to do, not to denigrate secretaries, but I felt that she had me all wrong, and she didn't understand how ambitious I was to do something bigger. And really, that was the beginning for me. And that was when I decided, right, I have to really prove to the world that I'm more than what they expect of me. And I think that's the, that's the most important thing. I think whatever you set out to do in life, it's very important that you have the, the vision and the uh, passion to, to pursue whatever you're going to do. And in, in my case, I did go to university and I did study geography. At college, I came across a, a, a study that a, a professor had written on images of women in India's media. That really changed everything for me because it was before media studies um, that I suddenly realized how important the camera was in controlling who we were and how people thought about who we might be. And so that's when I got excited about somehow being involved with being behind the camera to change the way people think about us. And all my work, all my early documentaries, my early films, everything has always been about exploring and exposing that people like me are different to what you might think we are. Yeah, some of us can play football and bend a ball like David Beckham, you know. Some, you know, that, that was the idea, to always be bigger than what you think other people think you are. In order to get there, you know, I, ha I didn't know anybody. I, my parents, you know, I grew up in a shop, corner shop. And so, really, it was a hard graft. You know, after I left college, um, I went and did a course in journalism because I thought the way to change the world was to become a news reporter. So I went to LCP, as it was called then. I did a course in radio journalism, and I worked uh, for BBC Local Radio 
for a while, and I did lots of sort of quite, you know, boring stories, but one has to cut your teeth. And so I was at local radio for quite a long time, and then I thought, this is no good, I need to do something else. And so I started coming up with story ideas for different television programs. And at that time, there was a program called The Media Show on television, which was all about film and TV. And so I started pitching stories to The Media Show, and they liked some of my ideas. And then I became a researcher in TV. And then, uh, after being a researcher for a couple of years in TV, after pitching stories that I'd come up with, I applied for a new scheme that the British Film Institute were running at that time. And it was called BFI New Directors. And it was for anybody who felt that they wanted to make a film about a subject but didn't necessarily have the film school experience, but really had a story that they wanted to tell. And at that time, something really exciting was happening for me in England, and that was the beginnings of Bhangra music. Bhangra music is like traditional Indian music mixed. In England, it was being mixed with hip-hop, with reggae, with house, uh, with drum and bass. And so for me, it was exciting because it was a mixture of Indian, traditional Indian dance music and um, you know other types of music. I know you'll all know the song by Punjabi MC. So that really was the thing. It's that one thing, the excitement of seeing this music that spoke to me. And at that time, I then developed a whole fashion thing. If you go on my website, you'll be able to watch this film. My website's benditnetworks.com. And the film was called I'm British But... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and in it, I interviewed four young Asians and I asked them, how would you, how would you describe yourself? Would you call yourself British? And all four of them had different definitions of who they were. Because the four that I interviewed, one was from England, one was from Scotland, one was from Northern Ireland, one was from Wales. And they were all, had, they all had their accents. So you had Urge Bean saying, I'd prefer to be called a Scottish Pakistani rather than British. Or the Welsh guy said, you know, I belong in the Rhonda Valleys. And the Northern Irish guy was, um, well, Northern Irish, that's how I see myself. So it was all, it was, it was mind-blowing to suddenly see people from different backgrounds. But the point was, it was the music was my entry point. And I applied, even though I thought, oh, I'm never going to get it because I don't know how to make a film. But I did have a good friend uh, with me at the time who said, just apply, just apply. You never know, you never know. And I said, but I've never been to film school. And she said, that doesn't matter. People in film school don't know what they're doing. Uh, just apply. <laughs> and so it was because of that, really, as my friend Kate pushed me. We, I applied. I got the money. I made the film. The film went on Channel 4. Once it was out, people realized this was a new voice. And a very lovely lady at Channel 4 at the time called Karen Bambra um, saw the film and said, OK, this is an important voice. We need to mold this voice. And so then she helped me. And with that, I got another short film. And then I got my very first feature film, which was called Bargy on the Beach. Next, um, <coughs> Miriam Margulies, an actor. I'm sure you, you know her. Uh, she's in the Harry Potter films. And uh, she has a TV miniseries called Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. And she's voiced many characters in animated films. And I'm, I'm an actress. I'm not a film actress. And I don't think there's particularly any difference 
Does anybody want to be an actor here? An actress? How wise, only a, only a couple of you. <laughs> um, it, it is hard, it's harder now than it was when I started. I went to university, to Cambridge University, where there's lots of opportunities for acting, and I then I was in a thing called the Footlights Review, which is a, a light entertainment medley, which has a, a big review every year. And in 1962, I was the only woman in it. I'm 75, um, and so this is all a long time ago. It's still quite an important uh, way to, to get into the business through light entertainment and comedy. Actually, I hate comedy, and um, I, I find myself doing an awful lot of it, but I don't really enjoy it at all. And um, the uh, Footlights was a focus of attention, and a BBC radio producer came to see it, and he gave me his card, and he said, if, if you ever want to go into the business, call me. I think you're good. And so when I left university, I wrote to him, and I got an audition, and then I got a job for the BBC, and then I joined the BBC Drama Repertory Company on radio. So I started in radio. Have you heard of radio, any of you? Um, um, <laughs> it's, it's not the most popular, fashionable thing to be in. And then I got an agent, and I got into television, and then eventually I made my first film, uh, which was called A Nice Girl Like You, directed by Terence <coughs> Davis. And then very gradually and slowly, because I'm not pretty and I'm, I'm fat and uh, sort of rather odd looking, um, I slowly made my way into the business and, and got jobs. And then um, eventually I got um, to play Professor Sprout in, in Harry Potter. Um, I was only in two of the episodes. Very wrongly, they didn't put me in the others. <laughs> and um, I uh, had a whole new career, I, th I think, because Harry Potter was so enormously successful, and therefore people of your generation uh, know who I am. Otherwise, you certainly wouldn't. Next, uh, we have uh, Miss Sagay, who's a writer, and um, she, she wrote uh, the film Bell. Um, and it has a TV miniseries shooting now called Gorilla. I went to university. I qualified as a doctor. I was working in the, in the NHS, and I was uh, an accident and emergency doctor. And one day I went to, I, I'd always written, I must say, I'm a great reader, I love reading, and I've been saying, anyone here who wants to be a writer, read, read everything, anything you know, comics, anything. Anyway, so I'd always been a, 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 you know, a reader. But then I went to watch a film, which um, I'm sure is a great film, and it's nothing against it. It's a film called Wilberforce. And this film talked about the slave trade and blow me down, but the slave trade appeared to be about two white people and their pain. And I, I was, I came out of the cinema just incandescent with rage. And I sat down and I said, if I was going to go to the cinema, what would I like to see? I'd never written a screenplay. I sat down and I wrote a script. Um, it was the first thing and only thing I'd ever written. Um, I sent it in to the only thing I could look up, which was, I mean, I was writing it while still working at the a&E department at Charing Cross Hospital. I sent it in to the only thing I knew, it's a place called the British Screen, which no longer exists, but they pick, picked up, there's somebody there sent it to an actor, Jeremy Irons, 
who loved it. And it, the most sort of wonderful sort of showbiz fairy story, he called Charing Cross, tracked me down and said, I want to be in your movie. And he put his name to it. That film was Secret Laughter at Women, and it was made. It was, in the end, made with Colin Firth. But- um, Is it called? Secret Laughter of Women. It okay. was in the end made with Colin Firth because um, he went off to make sort of Die Hard 5 or something by the yeah. time it was made. <laughs> I, I think that was paying slightly more than we were. Started wanting to write because I had something to say. I felt that people like me were not just excluded from behind the camera. We're an irrelevant audience many times. No one is making films that we want to see. They're either making films that don't include us or they're making films at <coughs> us. And so I wanted to make a film that I would want to go and see. That was the start of my career. I, after the film was made, I was in a difficult position. I didn't have a single other script. I had never really written before, and I was actually a, a, you know, an A&E consultant. That's what I was doing, that was my day job. And I had several years where I was doing both, and increasingly, doing more writing and less doctoring, and my children came along, and I stopped doctoring altogether, and I write full-time now. I think if I had a, a message for people coming through, because um, I always say that when I started, it'll be a bit different for, for your generation, but when I started, the, I was, it was like being an aardvark. People didn't quite know what, when you walked into a, a meeting, and if, if you walk in with somebody who's got an aardvark with them, you're going to talk to the man, aren't you? You're never going to address your questions <laughs> to the aardvark. And that's what I was. I was this strange creature who was quite opinionated, but um, I was that rare. And um, what I decided was to pick my battles. Because as a, as a woman, as a black woman, writing... You're, you're, you're almost by definition, you're standing at a different place to other people when you're writing. Um, next, we have David Barron, who's a, a producer. Um, he did the, uh, recently, he did the, uh, the Tarzan film and Cinderella, and has um, been involved with many of the Harry Potter films. Uh, I, was, uh, I had a sort of fleeting relationship with school, and I left school at 16. I came from an ordinary working class family, uh, I didn't know anybody in the film industry. Um, my parents certainly didn't know anybody in the film industry. And much, I enjoyed going to the cinema, but I had absolutely no ambition to work in film. In fact, I think probably at that time I had very little ambition at all, uh, which, um, looking back now, is rather shaming. Uh, but I went out with a girl whose father was um, a, 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 cinema, a television commercial director, and she <coughs> was one of the owners of um, what is now one of the country's biggest visual effects houses, the Moving Picture Company. Uh, and for two years, he kept saying to me, come and work for me. And I said, oh, no, I'm not really interested. And eventually, at the end of the two years, he uh, asked me again. And I said, well, look, I'm getting really fed up with you bothering me with this. I'll, I'll come, I'll give it a go. I'll come for two weeks. If I don't like it, I'm going to leave, and you've got to stop sort of bothering me. Uh, and instead of sort of giving me a clip around the ear, which he should have done, he said, fine. Uh, and I went uh, for two weeks to this commercial company, and that was in 1973. Uh, and I stayed there for seven years, and then I got a, a bit bored. Uh, I was producing commercials by that uh, time, but you know, fairy liquid or washing up soap or stuff was not too challenging anymore. 
Uh, and I had another girlfriend at this point, who they seemed to be um, a feature of my career, uh, who was working, for, there was a film uh, with Jeremy Irons, in fact, The French Lieutenant's Woman, with Meryl Streep. Um, and they fired a location manager, uh, and they wanted location. I had no real idea what a, a location manager or the film did, because I hadn't started at the bottom in film, I'd started at the bottom in commercials. Uh, and so I went and was, my uh, life was saved by an old alcoholic art director uh, who was terrific. He did his job really well, but he did like, um, he, he was an alcoholic. Uh, and he used to say to me, oh, um, have you thought of doing this? I said, oh, I'm going to do that then. And so he, he got me through The French Lieutenant's Woman. Uh, and I met someone there who then took me on to, there was a television series called The Professionals. Um, and I was location manager on the final series of The Professionals. Uh, and that guy, he went on to do a, a film somewhere and he took me with him and said, my life has been, um, I think, accidental is probably the best way of describing it. Uh, every time I got a bit bored with doing something, which I do sort of quite frequently, somebody offered me something else. David Putnam said, do you want to come and do uh, a television film he was making as production manager when I was a location manager? And so I didn't really quite know uh, exactly the role of a production manager because when... Uh, you're a location manager, you're out on the road looking for locations and arranging for people to uh, film on them. Uh, but I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come along. So I went and um, then I became a production manager. I worked with Kenneth Branagh as um, associate producer, production manager on a, a, a film that um, uh, was great in parts, but not its entirety, called uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, and he, at the end of that, asked me if I wanted to produce a film uh, with him. Uh, and so my life, it, it has been a, a series of very happy accidents, um, which is no help to any of you, because it doesn't give <laughs> you any kind of pointer as to how to move forward. Um, uh, but it's something I fell into complete facts, and, and I've loved it. I've been doing it for over 40 years, and I can't think of, uh, of doing anything else. I'll probably, hopefully, still be doing it for a good few years yet. And uh, next we have uh, Kirk uh, Waddell, and uh, he's a more recently started writer, and he was one of the finalists for the, the Academy's Nickel Fellowship in, um, Awards in Writing. And uh, uh, so how did you come to want to be a writer in film? Yeah, I'm very much sort of breaking in compared to the film royalty that I'm sat on the stage with here. There's an old adage that to break into Hollywood as a writer, you either need to have an uncle who's a Hollywood producer, or you need to go into the finals of the Academy Nickel Fellowship. I didn't have an uncle in Hollywood, so I figured this was probably the only way uh, to get in. So I'm, I guess from what you're looking at creatively, I'm probably the closest to where you are. So I'll just give you a little bit of background as to sort of where I started and how I got to here. So my uh, education was, I was very much science-based. My degree was psychology and neuroscience. And then I made a short film with uh, the Irish actor David Kelly, who unfortunately is no longer with us, which I wrote, directed, and produced. And I picked up some awards in the US with that. Uh, we got international distribution. My plan was then to go on and direct a feature. But as I quickly found, it's very difficult to find good screenplays. And all the good ones are generally sucked up by the studios or the A-list production companies. So I realized I was going to have to learn to write. So I intensively studied for six years. Everything I could find, courses, books, read every screenplay I could get my hands on. And then uh, one of my screenplays won a competition in the US where the prize was to, it was the reverse of what it's normally done, it was to adapt the screenplay into a novel. So I got to work with a New York Times best-selling author to adapt my screenplay to a novel. Oh, 
which uh, is getting published next year. So that will be my, my debut novel. Alongside that, I then set up a production company uh, a few years ago. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, as I said to Gary earlier, is a post-visual effects supervisor on the latest Star Wars movie. So we very much focus on science fiction. That's really our thing, obviously with his visual effects expertise. The screenplay that I got into the Nicole Finals with is a science fiction thriller called Alone. And really, that has changed everything. Um, since then, I've just come back from LA for two weeks there, meeting with the studios and with uh, various prestigious production companies. Um, one thing I, I was going to say is, I'm glad this didn't happen four or five years ago, because the first thing you get asked when you get into those meetings is, what else do you have? If you've only got one screenplay, it's a very short conversation. You know, fortunately, I've got a back catalogue now of material, so we're having very constructive conversations. And I'm pleased to say that that screenplay, we've now just uh, signed with a US production company who are going to finance and produce um, and sell the film. So. It's a fairy tale story, really, from, from that point of view. Um, the one thing that uh, Gurinda and uh, Miss Anne said, actually, I think is so true. It's, I think it's about having a voice. And it's about having an individual voice. And, and people and producers, I'm sure David and Gary will tell you, when they read material, they, it's, it's about finding a voice in the material, something that's different, that really stands out. And that's what grabs a producer's attention. And, I'm sure all of you have got a story in you. It's just finding what it is, but then developing your craft. You know, screenwriting is actually a really, really hard thing to do. As I'm realizing now, six years down the road, I'm still learning from um, other screenwriters and other material. You really need to dedicate yourself to the craft of learning how to write, read everything you possibly can, and that will allow you to then tell your story.